Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who can kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men... I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven, but whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Lord, we acknowledge that these are your words, and we also acknowledge that these are hard words. Um, So as we open your word today, and as we take your word as your word, we pray um, for eyes to see and ears to hear the hope that you have for us the promise that the Spirit of the Father is with us and in us, and that we are worth more than many sparrows. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Welcome to St. Bart's. My name is Chris Myers. Um, I'm one of the priests here. Our rector, Dave Larley, and his family are on sabbatical this summer. Um, And last week, we had my brother-in-law here preaching, and this week we have my friend Gavin Pate with us serving. He's going to be with us a couple times this summer. He's going to be preaching uh, for us in a couple weeks. Um, and Gavin and I were in seminary together. We were ordained as deacons on the same day. We worked together at All Saints. So he is a, a dear friend, and uh, he's planting a church in Arlington, an Anglican church in Arlington. So if you know anybody in Arlington looking for an Anglican church, please talk with Gavin after the service. Um, We're continuing on in this passage in Matthew. Um, Last week, Patrick talked about three things out of this passage that, of the previous verses, that when Jesus calls his apostles to him, he gives them um, a model for mission, a motive for mission, and a mandate for mission. The model for mission is Jesus himself, that he comes to declare the kingdom in both word and in power. Um, And that's what he empowers his disciples and his apostles, and therefore us, by extension, who have inherited 
the teaching of the apostles and the same spirit the apostles had are meant to do, to proclaim the word in both word and power. Um, the phrase that Patrick uses, heralding and healing. We herald and heal. We proclaim and we do those things that Jesus has done us, asked us to do. And we do it because we have the same motive as Jesus. What we heard last week is Jesus saw the crowd and he was moved to compassion because they were harried and they were like those without a shepherd. So Jesus' heart of compassion is meant to be our heart of compassion, that we are asked not just to do what Jesus did, but to do it in the way that he did it from the same motive that he has. And that that mandate is, we know, for after the resurrection, to go to all nations and to proclaim the resurrection of Jesus to the world. And that all sounds great until we get to these verses. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. The word for send there is the same root as the word apostle. Behold, I am apostling you as sheep in the midst of wolves. What does it mean to be sent into the world? That's the question that this text asks us. That if we move towards the world with the love that Jesus has, and attempt to love the world in the way that Jesus did with the same motive, what happens? Well, sometimes it does not go very well. Stuff gets stirred up. Sheep in the midst of wolves is an image of opposition. In case you don't know, wolves and sheep famously don't get along. But it's not just an image of opposition, it's also an image of identity. Jesus is saying, I'm the shepherd who sends you as sheep. That identity as sheep comes from the one who is shepherd. I'm the shepherd and my sheep follow me. And part of what he's saying is if you act in the world as wolves, you are no longer sheep. The church father, John Chrysostom, said this, preaching this passage, so long as we continue to behave as sheep, we are victorious. But if we become wolves, we are worsted. For the help of our shepherd departs from us, for he feeds not wolves, but sheep. What's the warning there? That we have to stick close to the shepherd. I'm sending you as sheep among wolves. We are sent among the wolves to show the wolves what it is to live as sheep. With radical trust, with radical dependence upon the shepherd. And to live with that radical trust and dependence is to show the world that there is more peace to have and less anxiety. There's more hope when we live as sheep with the shepherd who goes before us in all things. That would nicely sum up Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about clothing. Don't worry about food. Your Father knows you need these things. He will provide for you. The truth of this passage, though, is that the sheep-like ways are often perceived as threatening to the way of wolves. When we act like sheep, wolves are threatened because it challenges the fundamental way that most of us go through the world, which is more of a dog-eat-dog -dog or wolf-eat-wolf -wolf kind of world. But I love what Jesus says next because he is not encouraging naivete. He acknowledges the threat of wolves to seep. And so he says, be as innocent 
as dove and wise as a serpent. Be as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. This means we just don't go out looking for a fight. (laughs) It's the acknowledgement that as sheep go into the world, stuff will get stirred up. It doesn't mean that we go out there looking to get punched in the face so that we can therefore turn the other cheek. I had a phone call recently with a missionary and this verse came to mind as I was thinking about what he and his family are doing. Because they're in a country to where if you are just proclaiming to the world that you are a Christian missionary, it's not gonna go very well for you. But he can enter the country, his family can enter the country legitimately with a work visa. And he's opened a business in this country and he's doing legitimate work and he's employing people in that country and that's becoming an outpost for him to do gospel ministry. To me, that is an illustration of being wise as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Working with the grain to the extent that you can, but also that he's not just there to own this business, he's there to be a missionary. But that business becomes the means by which he can be a missionary. That's a place of balance. It's a narrow road to walk because if we just are innocent as doves, we will get crushed for no reason. <laughs> and if we are just as wise as serpents, then we're just like everybody else. It's both. So what does Jesus say next? He says, beware of men. Oof. What I love about this is Jesus has absolute realism about humanity. (laughs) He knows what we're like. He lived among us. He knows our motives. He knows that when we're threatened, we often fight back. But Jesus' realism about human nature does not keep him from loving people. That's everything. Doing what Jesus did in the way that he did it. Jesus knows the depth of the human heart and yet loves us all the same. That's what we pray every service. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open. Oh, dang. I know what goes on in my heart. And yet, he extends his mercy and offers his gospel, his peace to all of us. So he says, beware of men. That's what it is to be wise as a serpent. But to go with the love of God is what it is to be as innocent as a dove. Again, the motive of Jesus' mission is his compassion, his love. He knows what we are capable of doing to each other. And indeed, Jesus goes on to experience the worst of what humanity can do. The truly innocent one tried illegally and crucified for us. We did that. That's what humanity can do. And yet he moved towards the world in love and continues to move towards the world in love through us, his body. And he is always a shepherd who is willing to move towards the wolves. Because what Jesus knows is that wolves can become sheep. And that is the hope of the gospel. (laughs) that wolves can become sheep. And the cross is him throwing himself willingly to the wolves. And that is a fearful thing. And one of the sub-themes of this whole passage 
is how do we respond to fear? Because when we move to the world in this way and we face the opposition, it gets a little scary. We have a little anxiety. And Jesus says, do not be anxious when you're pulled before courts and made to give an account. He says, do not be anxious for how you speak or what you will say. Why? Because the spirit of the Father is in you. What he goes on to say in verses 26 through 31, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the rooftops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Jesus is reframing fear. Yeah, they can kill your body, but that isn't everything. Part of what Jesus is saying is that there are actually things that are worse than death. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Meaning, are we afraid of the right things? The thing right in front of us or the horizon of what's at stake? And then he moves into this image of the sparrows. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? <clears throat> the providential care of God for everything in creation, but especially for us. Because Jesus did not become incarnate as a sparrow to save sparrows. <laughs> he became incarnate as a human being to save us, and along with us, all of creation. I want you to think about what your body does when you're afraid. Most of the time we do this. We shrink in on ourselves, try to protect ourselves. Our vision narrows. And when we're feeling calm and open towards the world, our body does that, right? Our physiology often tells us what's actually going on, even if our mind hasn't caught up with it. <laughs> My wife's a therapist, she taught me that. She says to me, hey, what's going on in your body right now? I'm like, oh yeah, I might be anxious. Um, but what's interesting about that posture, this is fearful, this is open, is that psychologists and neuroscientists are discovering that it goes the other way too. That when you do this with your body, you start to get into that fearful mindset. And when you do this with your body, when you open your eyes and let more light in and have a bigger horizon and a bigger field of vision, you start to feel calm. That's what Jesus is saying. Widen your gaze. You're looking at what's right in front of you and you're afraid. And it might hurt and it, it might not go the way that you think it's gonna go, but if you have this bigger horizon that I'm with you, then it changes the situation. So change our posture, widen your gaze. That's Jesus's invitation. He's asking us to put our eyes on the horizon of hope. That our Father wants to take care of us and that he's not just before us, but that he's within us. The spirit of the Father is within you. So when we widen our gaze, we can recast fear. Don't fear these temporary things, keep eternity in mind. So how does this all happen though? What does it actually look like in the world? I'm gonna ask you to open a file in your brain that maybe you haven't opened in a long time. Books that you were supposed to have read in high school but probably didn't. 
Open that file, and in that file is probably To Kill a Mockingbird. Okay, pull out To Kill a Mockingbird. Turn to chapter 15. In chapter 15 of To Kill a Mockingbird, a a lynch mob is coming to the jail to, to hang Tom Robinson. And Atticus is there sitting under the light, just calmly reading the newspaper. And there's an interaction between him and the crowd. The wolves are coming. And how is this situation going to play out? How is it going to de-escalate? Because they are intent on violence. And interestingly, it's Scout who de-escalates the situation. Because she steps forward and she engages Mr. Cunningham, who is leading the mob. And it turns out Atticus had done some legal work for Mr. Cunningham to help him with an entailment, meaning some things with an inheritance that had got bound up in court. So this is what Scout says to him. Hey, Mr. Cunningham, how's your entailment getting along? (laughs) Don't you remember me, Mr. Cunningham? I'm Jean Louise Finch. You brought us some hickory nuts one early morning, remember? We had a talk. I went and got my daddy to come out and thank you. I go to school with your boy. I go to school with Walter. He's a nice boy. Tell him hey for me, won't you? You know something, Mr. Cunningham? Entailments are bad. And she goes on. This is innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. (laughs) She engages him as a human being, as an individual, not the leader of a mob intent on violence. And she reminds him of their common humanity, that her father has helped him before and is helping him still, and that they've exchanged gifts and that they have a relationship. And suddenly Mr. Cunningham shifts from being the leader of a mob to being a person. And a wolf is invited to be more like a sheep. This is what Jesus does in his trial. When he's taken before human courts and is accused of things that are not true, Jesus is as wise as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. He refuses to play the game of power while simultaneously pointing beyond the power dynamics that are playing out in front of him. My kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, you can do all your Pilate stuff. You can bring the full wrath of Rome against me, but my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus willingly loses his life because he has widened his gaze to the horizon of his Father. Into your hands I commit my spirit. So when Jesus tells his apostles what's going to happen when he apostles them, It's not a hypothetical. It really is a prophecy of what happens to him. So how do we do this when we face the trial? Radical trust of the shepherd who puts radical trust in the father. That's what strikes me about the line. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious of how you will speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your Father speaking through you. Not the generic spirit of God, but the spirit of the Father in you. He's our horizon to which we widen our gaze, and he's the one in us, working through us to bring the sheep-like ways of Christ into a wolfy world. It's the spirit of the Father speaking through you. I don't know what it always looks like in every situation. That's why I look for things like stories, like To Kill a Mockingbird, 
What does this child do? How does she de-escalate a situation? I don't know what's going on in everybody's lives, but I know what's going on in some of your lives. I know that some of you are in difficult workplaces. I know that some of you are sometimes um, people put before you, you can do it this way, which is the right way, or you can do it our way. (laughs) Do it our way. How do we act in the world when we are given those choices? And we can't always map it out in advance. And that's what we want. That's what I want. Can I have all the answers in advance, please, Jesus? Do not worry about what you will say. (laughs) Be in the moment. Trust. Put your radical trust in the shepherd and put your radical trust in the father. That's the only hope we have. And the promise of this, that whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Lord God, um, I thank you for hard words that make us reflect, not just on who you are, but who we are in you. And we pray, Lord, we we think of those situations in our lives that are difficult, the situations where we encounter wolves. And we do pray for the words to say, and for the radical trust to be sheep and to trust the spirit of the Father within us. And we ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.